It's time for Forward Nation Radio. Now here he is, the host of Forward Nation Radio, David Leventhal. Welcome to Forward Nation Radio. I'm David Leventhal. On today's show, the Senate passes the Biden relief bill. Make no mistake, as this bill imminently will become law, it is a big fucking deal. In fact, no, it is a huge fucking deal. And we'll be talking a little bit about the bill, but mostly why it's really such a big deal. We'll also be talking about the fight for voting rights in America and some of the latest on that. Yes, 2021, the fight for voting rights in America. We'll also talk about the latest news and how it reflects upon the Grand Canyon that is this country's divide right now. But first, in in some lighter news, in the score one for the little guy department, Harper's Magazine is reporting this week that in India, a man died after being stabbed in the groin by his rooster after he'd attached a knife to the bird preparing for an illegal cockfight. I know maybe that doesn't sound so much like on a lighter note. Uh, Even for those of us who might be rooting for the birds in that situation. But the lighter note is, the good news is, Anyone who had bet on the bird got a much bigger payoff than they expected to be getting. Anyway, a lot of latest news this week gives us more information about this. Why can't we just get along thing that we've been reporting on in this country? The tremendous divide that this country faces between, well... People with a brain, people without a brain, people with decency, people without any decency. Am I going a little bit too far? Well, let's look at some of the news to determine whether whether describing the Gulf that way is really going too far. Let's start with the fact that the U.S. Capitol, Washington, D.C., was on alert this past week or two for an attack by right-wing militias. Let, let, let's just... Let's just once again let that marinate for a few moments. The U.S. Capitol in Washington, D.C., of Washington, D.C., was on alert for an attack by right-wing militias. In other words, basically Trump supporters, Republicans at this point, the Republican base. We're on alert. Our security agencies had the United States government, the United States Capitol on alert. It's just, it's it's mind-boggling. That's only in part the alert because QAnon, yes, QAnon, those great people, had said that March 4th was going to be the day that Donald Trump resumed his presidency because of the historical March 4th being inauguration day before that was changed many years ago. Whatever. There's no, there's no logic in QAnon. In fact, there's so... No logic in QAnon. That did I mention that QAnon said that March fourth is the day that Donald Trump would resume his presidency? Um, 
at the time I am recording this, it is in fact after March 4th. And, spoiler alert, Donald Trump is not the president. I don't get it. Is it possible that QAnon was wrong? Ha ha ha! Don't be silly. Of course not. To its followers, it will be coming up with all kinds of reasons why it was either right all along or it never said it to begin with. Or it should have happened, but those damn Antifa people stopped decency and goodness in voting from happening. Uh, I've been talking for a long time on this show about the divide in this country and Moscow Mitch's role in that divide. The former Senate Majority Leader, still the leader of the Republicans in the United States Senate, Mitch McConnell, Moscow Mitch, who has basically been willing to burn the place down since at least the Obama administration in order for Republicans to take power and to wield power. No respect for the Constitution, no respect for the law, no respect for the rules of Congress, and, and no respect for this country as opposed to Russia, hence Moscow Mitch. Well, I feel a little bad right now because I've been calling him Moscow Mitch, but it almost sounds like Beijing... I uh, better not finish that. Um, oh, we're so politically correct now. Instead of calling him Moscow Mitch, you know, maybe I should still call Moscow Mitch, but as a couple, it's Moscow Mitch and Beijing you can fill in the blanks. Because in case you missed this news, Mitch McConnell is married. I'm sure it's a true love match. Mitch McConnell is married to Donald Trump's transportation secretary, Elaine Chow. Well, the Transportation Department's inspector general just came out with a report that finds that she helped her family's shipping business while she was the transportation secretary. She violated U.S. law, apparently, to help her family's shipping business by promoting their ties and working with China, where her family is originally from. It turns out that the inspector general, in fact, had referred this matter, this self-dealing in the Trump administration. What were the odds? Someone in the Trump administration was self-dealing? Why, you could knock me over with a pickup truck. Anyway, they referred it to the Department of Justice for investigation that the transportation secretary is apparently basically a crook or might be a crook. Twice, the Department of Justice somehow during the Trump administration declined to act upon the uh, inspector general's reports and findings and request for an investigation. Hence, Moscow Mitch and Beijing, we'll leave it at that. Also in the news this week, reflecting the divide in this country, was CPAC. When I spoke to you last, CPAC had just started, and gosh, we were already having a good time with that. But now it's really been, it, it, it's over at this point. It had been rolling along, and now it's over with. Since I spoke to you, Donald Trump, its keynote speaker, had a chance to speak to CPAC. Um not really anything to comment on here. He keeps repeating the big lie, even after it led to an assault on the United States Capitol. But th there's absolutely no reason to expect anything different from the former president of the United States. The man's a pathetic piece of shit, as we've been saying for four years on this show. 
Uh, there, there is one thing worth noting. Uh, Donald Trump did, in what must have been a remarkable act of reading, because his mind can't possibly handle this many names, Donald Trump went through a list of all the Republicans who have bucked him in some way or another, like, for instance, supporting impeachment, gave a list, one might call it a hit list, except given the people he was speaking to, the brain-dead cultists, the violent brain-dead cultists, calling it a hit list seems a little problematic. It seems like bad phrasing because it kind of sounds like a hit list. So he went over at CPAC in front of these rabid morons, all of the Republicans by name, who were disfavored by Donald Trump. Sure, it could be a, let's make sure that we beat them at the ballot box. Sure, I'm sure that's what he meant because Donald Trump's all about winning at the ballot box. He's all about fair play, as we've learned. So Donald Trump, there's not a lot to say about Donald Trump speaking to CPAC. There's more to say about Cancun Ted and Ted Cruz appearing at CPAC, uh, trying to kiss enough ass that he could be Donald Trump's heir apparent in another few years in his, I'm just guessing, uh, bid for the presidency. I think Ted might throw his hat in the ring. Uh, Ted's hat firm, permanently affixed to the ring for a long time. But anyway, Ted Cruz spoke at the CPAC conference and really reminded anyone with any sensibility at all what kind of shit right now the Republican Party turns out and what kind of shit the Republican Party appeals to. Um, he mocked Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez at CPAC. Mocked. Okay, not the end of the world. She's obviously being a liberal. She's obviously anathema to, to the people at CPAC. I get it. He mocked her by saying, AOC is telling us she was murdered. <laughs> As in, at the Capitol, during the riot, that you helped instigate, that you still have not called out, based on false facts that you continue to peddle. Oh, one other thing, as I've reported before, AOC, in fact, never told anybody she was murdered. So one thing about people on the right is in order to make fun of things that people on the left say and do, they're not worried about whether trifling little things like whether or not people on the left actually said or did any of those things. In this case, she didn't. But why was it particularly obnoxious, galling, pathetic that Cancun Ted or uh, the better, there have been a few uh, Twitter or otherwise uh, nicknames for Ted. I love Flying Ted. Um, that was a good one. Uh, what was the other? Oh, I forget. I'll think of it probably before the show's over. But Flying Ted was a really good one. Um, I, I think Cancun Ted will work for me because at least it's, I haven't read anybody else writing that, although I'm sure plenty have. Um, while he was mocking her at the CPAC conference, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was raising millions of dollars for Texas. In fact, while Ted Cruz was fleeing his state to go on holiday in Mexico, 
Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was raising money for injured Texans. Cruz went on, because he wasn't pathetic enough. Just lighten up, Cruz said. Especially now, the left, they are shrill. They are angry. How many leftists does it take to screw in a light bulb? That's not funny. God bless. Who would want to be around these people? Uh, Just a couple of points on that one. Uh, People on the left are shrill and angry. Let me just again remind everybody that people on the right stormed the United States Capitol and tried to overthrow the United States government. I'm just pointing that out. When at CPAC, they're going to, to these morons, he's going to talk about the fact that people on the left are angry. She's raising money for Texas. People in Texas are trying to murder their neighbors. More on that in a few minutes. But let let me just say, Ted sounds, speaking of the left being shrill and angry, Ted Sounds a little shrill there. In fact, in fact, it sounds a little bit like Ted Cruz could use a vacation. Yeah. Uh, maybe Ted Cruz should head back to Cancun. You know, he, he ends up by saying, who would want to be around these people? And I've talked at length in the past on this show about Ronald Reagan, god of the Republican Party and outright piece of shit, um, Ronald Reagan's famous admonition that the nine scariest words in the English language are I'm from the government and I'm here to help. Ha ha, that's really cute. When people are dying in floods caused by climate change and hurricanes caused by climate change and, and whatnot. Who would want to be around these people? Well, let me, let me take a, a stab at that one, Ted. Um, how about people at the Houston Food Bank where Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was volunteering to help provide food to suffering Texans while you were heading to Cancun and appearing in front of CPAC to make fun of people who are just dramatically better than you in every possible respect. She was working at a Houston food bank. So let me posit some of them as the answer to your question of who would want to be around these people. People who are suffering and are willing to accept help, even from people that you try to demonize. In fact, that you equate with Satan. Um, All I know is that at this point, Ted Cruz, with that nasty language, had better not be nominated for a cabinet post anytime soon, at least under a Democratic president, obviously, when there's a Republican president. If it's not Ted Cruz, he'll, he'll have no problem getting a cabinet post with the Republicans. But as Neera Tandon's name is withdrawn from the nomination for for director of OMB, maybe for for tweets that were mild compared to the kind of shit that Ted Cruz says every day, uh, it would be at least a nice sign if Ted Cruz would have to give up any hope of being nominated for a cabinet post or, for that matter, elected president of the United States. Uh, This is a reminder of when it comes to cabinet posts and the federal government, the tremendous double standard we have in this country, that people like Ted Cruz could come out and be this offensive. And in fact, they will put that as a calling card for why they should be president of the United States. But a Democrat has to act like Joe Biden in order to have any hope of remaining in national politics. 
Ted Cruz, obviously, to his credit, I guess, he fully represents Trump supporters. He represents who they are, he represents what they believe in, and he represents what they care about. He represents the fact that Trump supporters remain and are motivated by their anger at people better than themselves, which is ultimately most of what the Trump phenomenon, we keep being reminded, is all about. A bunch of angry little pieces of shit, angry at the fact that there are people out there better than themselves and willing to care about somebody else when they are not willing to do that. Cruz also pointed out in his race for presidency at CPAC, Donald Trump ain't going anywhere. Yeah, there's a folksy guy speaking in the language that the morons at CPAC can understand. Donald Trump ain't going anywhere. This we recall from the guy who Donald Trump referred to as Lying Ted, who called his wife ugly, and who accused his father of having a role in the assassination of John F. Kennedy. Uh, I was just waiting at CPAC for Ted Cruz to come out and say, and let's face it, my wife really is ugly as shit. When you get right down to it, Donald's right. My wife is ugly as shit. And my father, I don't know why that guy didn't go to prison. My my seven-year-old son has this idea. Whenever whenever we're watching something or, or I'm reading something, it's, is that a good guy or is that a bad guy? The world is a simple place when you're seven years old or when you're Donald Trump. Everything is good or evil. And he's having to wrestle with the fact that my typical answer to that question now is, well, they're a little bit good and they're a little bit not so good. Or they're a little bit evil. And he's having to come to grips with the idea that not everything is so black and white. Good versus evil. But that brings us to Trump supporters and the Republican right at this point in time. And I think about the fact that for them... They're like my seven-year-old child, for all too many of them anyway. That the world is broken down to good good versus evil. There don't need to be facts supporting good versus evil. Your side is good, the other side is evil. Which seems pretty fair, considering I think the mental age of the average Trump supporter is about seven years old. That it boils down to good versus evil. I've been talking for years about the fact that one of the hallmarks of the right at this point is the total inability to contemplate nuance. When the president of the United States wakes up to healthcare and goes, "Uh, who knew healthcare is complicated? That really reflects something. It reflects the idea that the conservative mind cannot come to grips with the fact that there is nuance and there is complication in the world. I tell my students all the time that there's a gray area on every issue on which reasonable people can differ. But let's face it, that's really not true if you're a Trump supporter at this point. It's not true if you're a Republican base at this point. There is no gray area. It's black and white. It's good versus evil. And good versus evil is based entirely upon selfishness. The selfishness, of course, defines so many of us. We are, of course, selfish by nature. 
we are not. I talked last time about the, the animal kingdom. Uh, that, that, that most animals in the animal kingdom pull together and will sacrifice themselves for the group. Uh, humans, of course, for obvious reasons, tell ourselves that we are superior to the rest of the animal kingdom. But in this way, we're really not. We don't pull together and support the group. And we're suffering the, the, the consequences of that right now. And will be for a long time to come. But we are a selfish animal. Some of us try harder than others to be a little bit less selfish. But this still explains so much of what we do and what we believe as humans. It explains why Americans were so slow to accept climate change. Why? Because it's not in our personal interest to accept climate change. If we accept that such a thing exists, that puts upon us responsibility to actually do something about it. We are selfish. We're also, by the way, tremendously irresponsible. Uh, coming together, we talk about this country possibly coming together. Biden keeps talking about trying to bring this country back together. You got to be kidding. There's, there's, there's so little hope of our ability to come together because of how stark our divisions are, including and primarily in the idea of whether we think that we should just feed our selfishness entirely or whether we feel that there is something bigger that we should be standing for. The wounds that are being inflicted in this country, including by an attack on the government of the United States of America, are not going to heal anytime soon if they are to heal at all. And I don't understand how they heal at all. We are fundamentally different on the left versus right. I've said for a long time, I don't really understand how a nation, half or a third of people who buy Priuses, plug-in hybrids, electric cars, are going to somehow come together in running a country with single individuals who buy huge pickup trucks during a period of climate change and tens of thousands of people dying on our roads each year, including children. How people who are motivated to engage in responsible behavior are possibly going to find a whole lot of common ground with people who have absolutely no motivation whatsoever to engage in selfless behavior or behavior on, on behalf of the group or the pack or the breed. And in that regard, let me just say, in the spirit of coming together and unanimity and bringing America back together as one, let me just say right now, fuck Texas. And in case I wasn't clear, fuck Texas some more. Fuck Texas, fuck Mississippi, and fuck Wyoming too. Refusing to have a mask mandate during a time where we are still, the numbers of COVID have come down. I, I wasn't talking about it yet today. But we're still seeing a couple of thousand Americans die every day from COVID. And these pieces of human trash think that their freedom, their gonads are all being, are all at risk because they might actually have to wear a mask to protect their fellow citizens from harm and possible death? Are you fucking kidding me? 
I'm supposed to get along with these pieces of shit at some point? They can't even put a fucking mask on to not kill their neighbors. As a country, if we cannot agree on not killing our neighbors, what the fuck are we going to agree on? There's just no better metaphor for where we stand right now and where Republicans stand right now that, that... Republicans in Texas and Mississippi, I I almost hate to pile on Mississippi. They're such a fucking disgrace in just about everything that every other state uses them to make fun of. Well, here's the thing, Mississippi. When you're that fucking pathetic that every other state just laughs at you, that every other state says, thank God for Mississippi because they can't be last in anything anymore because they have you, maybe you should try shutting the fuck up for a change and following what better states and better people are doing. As in, not killing your neighbors, perhaps. All right, now that I'm sufficiently exercised to the negative, let's turn it around a little bit now. And let's end, it'll take a long time to end, we're not close, on a, on a positive note. The Senate has passed the stimulus bill after a pretty big fight. But after Democrats refused to back down when all of the smart money said Democrats were going to act like Democrats always act and they were going to fucking cave. Well, they didn't cave. And what is the result? The House should be imminently passing and President Biden should be imminently signing into law. The largest anti-poverty effort in a generation. With one-time direct payments, of course, of up to 1400 dollars for hundreds of millions of Americans, jobless aid extended and, and added $300 a week to it, lasting through the summer, not as long as we'd like, but better than Republicans were hoping to make it. Money for distributing coronavirus vaccines, relief for states, cities, schools, small businesses struggling during the pandemic. Help for child care providers. Money for child care providers. And health care? Once again, after four years of trying to take health care away from millions of Americans, even during a deadly pandemic, we are seeing the largest effort since Obamacare to expand health care coverage in America. The, the, the bill will expand Affordable Care Act coverage, Obamacare, It will pay for an additional two years of COBRA insurance for people who have lost their job and therefore lost their health insurance because they lost their job. It will pay to continue that insurance for up to two years. It will increase spending for food stamps for people who are hungry, rental assistance for people who are in danger of losing their homes. It will include $300 per month per child for a year. Yeah, only for a year. But of course, the hope is That once people start getting this $300 a month per child, which will be taking a lot of these people and these children out of poverty, maybe a year from now, we're going to make this thing permanent. We're going to build on it, not destroy what we've created. It is expected to cut poverty by one-third this year. And it would plant the seeds for what Democrats hope will become an income guarantee for children forever. It will potentially cut child poverty in half 
or close to one half. In half, cutting child poverty. Making America almost like civilized countries when it comes to child poverty. Researchers at Columbia University project the overall package will lift more than 13 million people from poverty this year, including nearly 6 million children, and estimate that a permanent program of children's payments would decrease child poverty nearly in half. Said Columbia University Center on Poverty and Social Policies, Christopher Winner, Weimer, sorry, Not since Social Security have we made that kind of commitment to cut poverty. This is a game changer. This is a sea change. This is Democrats once again standing up for government and what government can do. So, given its impact on poverty in America and helping children, well, you can pretty well guess where Republicans stand on this. Republicans unanimously oppose this bill, which is supported by 70% or so of Americans. 70% of Americans do not even agree on mom and apple pie, but they agree on this bill. Nevertheless, Republicans are unanimous in their opposition to it. On the theory of, my kid's doing just fine, thank you, and screw your kid. The amazing thing with this bill is not just what it will accomplish. It is the message that it will send. I have been asking on this show since Biden came on the scene, are Republicans going to be Charlie Brown and run up to kick the football again because Lucy says she's going to hold the football when she's clearly not going to hold the football? Well, maybe Democrats have gotten the message about Republican compromise about working with Republicans, and about whether the other party is going to work with them. I've, I've been speculating for a while that my hope was that Joe Biden says I can work with Republicans, knowing damn fucking well that there isn't a single Republican that will work with him unless he is willing to just completely give up. Well, right now, that's what it's looking like. Republicans are outraged. They're outraged that Biden didn't enlist their support or didn't work with them on this package when the Republicans had already made it clear that they would not do anything like as they did for eight years under Obama. They would not do anything that might help Biden fix this country and look good and therefore gain political success for himself and the Democrats. Nothing. They already demonstrated once again that they are willing to burn the House down in order to remain the owners of the house or cut the baby in half in order to not give another half, the other half to the other side. The Republicans continue to demonstrate that their idea of unity is agreeing to let them torpedo our agenda. That's their idea of unity. And Democrats are not buying it anymore. They're not wusses like they have been. Okay. Um, The Republicans have noted that when they were in charge of the Senate and Trump was in office, they were able to deliver a series of costly coronavirus relief bills negotiated between the House and the Senate. Yes, that's because Democrats are willing to work with Republicans to give Republican political successes when Republicans are in power. Republicans won't do likewise. They say this like it makes them look good, but it just points out the fact that only one political party in this country gives a shit about this country. Dems are not willing to make the same mistake they made in 2009 
when Barack Obama drastically reduced the size of his stimulus bill, making it too small to address the country's needs, although big enough to save to, to ward off another depression, but not big enough for the Democrats to get any kind of electoral credit for it. In a vain hope that he would get Republican support by so dramatically minimizing his bill. Biden wasn't falling for it again. So the Democrats have passed this bill and shockingly Republicans are not happy about it. Moscow Mitch is not happy about it at all. It apparently gives too much money to people, like human people. And obviously one could expect too little to his wife's rich family members and his wife and himself and rich people. Not enough for rich people, too much for humans. Senator Thune of South Dakota has been public in his outspoken hatred of this bill. He's been really entertaining because Thune famously came out and speaking against the minimum wage aspect of the bill, which got torpedoed, unfortunately, from the bill. More on that in a few minutes. But Thune famously came out a week ago or so and said, $15 an hour minimum wage? Why, when I was a kid, I was working as a chef for $6 an hour. This being so comical, because at the time he was working for $6 an hour, $6 an hour was equivalent to over $20 an hour today. This is the way Republicans argue, well, argue, just argue logic or facts, just stupidity that doesn't reflect any kind of reality. I worked for $6 an hour. That was fine back then. Yes, that was 20-something dollars an hour back then, but it didn't slow him down a bit. He just kept slinging the bullshit. So Republicans hate the deal because it is a huge deal. Bernie Sanders described this famously as the most significant legislation for working families in decades. That's the problem that Republicans have. Working families. Forget this Donald Trump working class bullshit. He never cared about working class people. It's evident now the Republican Party has never cared about the working class. They care about the ownership class. That's what they are. But it's not just that. It's the big statement here about what this is. Uh, the guys on Pod Save America pointed out that, th- that, what does this mean? This means the era of big government is back. I thought that was a great way to put it. And I also thought that for many of my younger listeners, I want to explain what was meant when they said that. To give you an idea about the dramatic shift to the right that this country has experienced over the last 40 years, why average working men and women are being screwed and the rich are just getting so rich, it's, it's inconceivable how rich they are. Starting with Ronald Reagan. But it was Bill Clinton, a Democratic president, who was doing his best impersonation of a Republican, as Democrats have done for the last 40 years, who famously said during his presidency, the era of big government is over. Well, what did it mean that the era of big government is over? It meant people suffering without health care, people suffering without being able to provide for their families, and rich people vying to become the world's first trillionaires. That's what happened when the era of big government was over. Because it is government's job 
to promote the special interest, the common interests as opposed to the special interests. That's the job of government. And when government stops doing its job, it is no surprise that the special interests, the fabulously rich, the people who don't give a shit, the businesses who don't give a shit about anybody but themselves, they do well and everybody else suffers. So this is, seems to be laying down the gauntlet that we will not accept the era of big government being over. We are bringing government back. We are not going to accept the supply-side bullshit that has ruled this country for 40-something years. This idea of everybody pitch in and help billionaires and we'll all be better off in the long run. I've ridiculed this so many times on this show, but again, here it fits in. I'm not going to do this at length. We're still waiting for trickle-down. 40-something years later, the people who argued supply-side economics have come out and said, oh, it was bullshit in the very beginning. Why did you ever listen to us? We just wanted our rich donors and our rich selves to get more money. Well, finally, Democrats are making a shot across the bow of supply-side economics. Fundamentals of Republican orthodoxy that has governed this country for 40-something years. Shot across the bow. Sink it in the fucking ocean. Yes, it is a big disappointment in the bill that the minimum wage is not there. God help the Democrats trying to push this through, but keep the momentum going. Do everything you can. Maybe at some point the American people will start to feel the benefits of these checks. They will start to appreciate what they have. Maybe there will start to be this groundswell of support, this revolution that Bernie Sanders has been calling on. And finally, the American public will get the government they need rather than the government they have deserved for the past 40 years in this country. Democrats will keep pushing to raise the minimum wage. They will face unremitting Republican hostility until the American public rises up so much that some Republicans have to not be so hostile to smaller increases. It seems unlikely that we're ever going to get $15 a minimum wage in, in the near future. But whether the Democrats can build support for $12 or $13, maybe that's in the cards. At the very least, let's keep reminding everybody who's getting in the way of it. Even earlier earlier in the week, when the parliamentarian ruled that the Democrats could not add the minimum wage to the, to the relief bill because it didn't have a significant enough impact on the budget, we were speculating the big debate was whether the democrats should overrule the parliamentarian and just say fuck you we're putting it in the bill which they could have done the the problem with that was that they couldn't even pass the democrats if they had done that they couldn't have gotten it past joe manchin from west virginia they couldn't have gotten it past kristen cinema of arizona it's now become clear and probably others and yet even in that score while conservative democrats are getting in the way still just the the last day or so joe manchin who's been saying read my lips i will not vote to get rid of the filibuster is now signaling some light on the filibuster well i'm not going to get rid of the filibuster but reforms that might prevent the filibuster from being used all the time to interfere with the business of the american public that i will be willing to consider as many of us were hoping from the very beginning. So there could be some light even among the moderate or conservative Democrats, especially if the Democrats can keep the heat on and, keep, and let the American public know who has their back 
and who's benefiting them. And that is why, last before we leave today, I want to talk about the latest in voting. The Supreme Court this week heard two cases from Arizona trying to further destroy the Voting Rights Act, which they already did so much to destroy a few years ago in the Shelby County decision. In two Supreme Court cases, Brnovich versus the DNC and the Arizona Republican Party versus the DNC, Republicans were arguing that the Voting Rights Act should not prevent them from instituting voter suppression laws that reduce people's ability to vote and, in fact, reduce minorities' voting rights more than others. The issue basically being, under Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act, whether a law that has a disparate impact on minorities, that it that it has a disparate impact on minorities being prevented from voting, whether that should be enough to demonstrate uh, denial or abridgment of the right of citizens of the United States to vote on account of race or color as Section 2 prohibits. Republicans are saying that just because it has the impact of stopping people of color from voting, that shouldn't violate Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. And let me just translate this for a moment. Unless we slip up and we say out loud the quiet part, the stuff we're not supposed to say out loud, then we get to deny minorities the right to vote. As long as we don't say that what we want to do is deny minorities the right to vote. This is the just don't say it out loud. I guess, amendment to Section 2 of the Voting Rights Act. It's perfectly okay to deny minorities the right to vote, but you can't say out loud that you're denying the minority. That, that's the argument that Republicans are making right now. Ted, Ted Cruz, Cancun Ted again, and Moscow Mitch Beijing filed amicus briefs on behalf of basically destroying the Voting Rights Act. What a surprise. Because the only way this political party survives, especially in light of democratic efforts to actually help Americans and pass bills that have 70%, the support of 70% of the American public, the only way the Republican Party wins elections is by stealing them, as I've been saying, for four years. The only way Republican Party wins elections is by stealing them. They know it. So what does that mean? They got two choices. Either they could try to appeal to the American public and become popular. They're not doing that. They've signaled that clearly that's not what they're going to do. Their other choice is to stop people from voting, to cheat, to steal in the elections. I mentioned a, a, a few moments ago the saying the quiet part out loud. In the argument in front of the United States Supreme Court, Justice Barrett, Amy Coney Barrett, you know her, our, our glorious most recent addition to the United States Supreme Court, had a simple question for the lawyer defending the Republican-backed voter suppression laws. 
What's the interest of the Arizona Republican National Committee here in keeping, say, the out-of-precinct ballot disqualification rules on the books? What's happening, two issues here, getting into a little bit into the weeds, but two issues here. One is that people who end up voting at the wrong precinct, those votes are going to be thrown out, whereas before they were kept provisionally and then they were sent to the right place if necessary. Well, who votes in the wrong precinct? People for whom the precinct is always changing. That tends to be inner city people, minorities, and blacks in particular, who vote in the wrong, try to vote in the wrong precinct at a much higher weight rate than wealthy white people do. Uh, that's part of it. Also, the idea of collecting ballots, mail-in ta- ballots, absentee ballots to deliver them for people who can't do it themselves, have trouble getting to the voting to the voting place, etc. That's also being disqualified. Also, something that greatly affects blacks and minority and poor voters. So she asks, what's the interest of the Arizona Republican Party here in basically suppressing the vote? The response from the lawyer was because it puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. The lawyer Michael Carvin responded, it puts us at a competitive disadvantage. They didn't even try to say out loud, oh, voter fraud. Because they can't say that out loud. They have absolutely nothing to support it as we saw throughout this country over the last couple of months. He didn't even try to say out loud, it's protecting voting integrity somehow, which Republicans say to the media all the time because they're lying. It puts us at a competitive disadvantage relative to Democrats. Politics is a zero-sum game, he went on to say. Let me translate that. If people get to vote, we lose, Democrats win. Therefore, we're stopping people from voting. That is what the Republican Party stands for. We don't actually have a policy position. We don't believe in anything. We don't stand for anything at this point. We are just trying to stop people from voting so we can continue the kleptocracy later on. I mentioned that we will be, I will be starting talking every week about what needs to be on the agenda of this country. I've gone a little long in this show, so I'm not going to continue this discussion on voting rights by talking about H.R. 1, the We the People Act, and how the most important thing this country needs to do is to, is to preserve and protect the right to vote across this country. There is nothing more important for Democrats to have on their plate once the relief bill bill gets done. I will leave that for next week's show. You have a pretty good idea where I'm going with that. In the meantime, celebrate the fact that we're about to get a bill that we that we really greatly need. And maybe there's reason to be a little bit hopeful for a lot of people in this country for a change. That's something. How long has it been since I can end on a, on a high note? Wow. I don't know if I've ever ended on a high note. Anyway, I'm going to end right there. Thanks for joining us, and stay safe, wear your mask, and I'll see you soon. You've been listening to Forward Nation Radio with David Leventhal. 